week. Uh, Joan McKnight, I think many of you know her. Roland and Joan, amazing couple here at the church. She was battling uh, pancreatic cancer. She was here last week. Told my wife, uh, I don't know if I'll be able to, I- I'm going to try to be here next week as well. I don't know if I can serve on the donut team though. And uh, on Thursday, she went home to be with the Lord. So uh, we're going to have a service for her. We're not sure exactly when yet, but we will let you know. Please play, pray for Roland, her husband, and the family. Just an amazing servant lady here at the church. So let's pray right now. Lord, I thank you for all that you have done for us. And I thank you for this time we can be together. And Lord, I pray for uh, Joan right now. I just uh, know she's with you, but I pray for Roland and the family. God, I pray that their uh, peace would come from you at this time. Especially Roland, Lord, and uh, I know he misses her tremendously already. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you this morning. We love you, Jesus. You're right here, right now with us. And we give you all the praise and all the glory because you deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, we have been in a series entitled Questions by Jesus. And last week we talked about, do you want to go away as well? A lot of people were leaving the ministry of Jesus. He was teaching some very difficult doctrines and people were leaving. And he turned to the 12 that he had called and said, hey, do you want to leave as well? Sobering question. This week is a sobering one as well. It's it's this one. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? This is a powerful question. And I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 28. If you don't have your Bibles, there should be one nearby. Uh, Jesus was with his disciples right before this passage. He prophesied about his coming death and resurrection. And then Peter pulled Jesus aside in verse 22 and said to Jesus and rebuked him, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Verse 23. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get thee behind me, what? Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What a powerful challenge for all of us today. I want to ask you, in your life, are you setting your mind on the things of God? In your marriage, in your family, are you setting your mind on the things of God? Rising above the tendency to set your mind on the things of man, to live your life differently because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to say this. Then Jesus told his disciples, verse 24 of Matthew 16, If anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself. What does that mean? To say no to your desires and say yes to God's. To say no to your agenda and say yes to God's agenda. It's a radically different agenda than that of the world. Then he says this in verse 25. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever, what, loses his life for my sake will find it. If you say, Lord, hey, my life is no longer mine anymore, it's yours. My days are no longer mine anymore. They're directed by you. You are in control of my life. Then here's the question, verse 26. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what should a man give in return for his soul? It's a rhetorical question. It doesn't profit a man anything if that person gains the whole world. Who's the richest person in the world? Anybody know? It was Jeff Bezos until the Amazon stock went down a little bit this week. And I read an article that now Bill Gates has taken first place again. And they've been kind of switching back and forth. And the question would be this. If someone asked you, would you rather be Bill Gates without the Lord or in poverty yet know Jesus Christ, which would you choose? Yeah, if you have to think about that for even a minute right? You don't understand what Jesus is talking about there. Bill Gates is nowhere near owning the whole world. But Jesus says, what does it profit someone if they gain the whole world but lose or forfeit their soul? It gains absolutely nothing because everything we have is going to be left here. I've done a lot of funerals, right? I've been driving behind a lot of hearses that carry coffins, and one thing I have never seen is a U-Haul trailer hooked up to a hearse. Amen? Never seen it. Doesn't happen. Can't take it with you. Jesus is trying to remind us of the value of knowing Him. Then verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father. Here's the bottom line of our talk today. Jesus wants His followers, that's you and me, to value things the way God values them. With that in mind, we should always remember the incredible value of our soul and the awesome value of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about it. The soul within you is of more value than this entire planet and everything on it. It has more value than the entire world. That's why you don't want to lose your soul. You don't want to forfeit your soul. It's incredibly valuable. And a corollary to that is the awesome value of your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can whole, own the whole world. It could all be yours. But if you don't have Jesus, it means nothing. Nothing. It will all be gone. And that brings me to the first point this morning. It's this. Jesus reminds us of the priceless value of the soul, of your soul. Are you settled with God today? I did a funeral yesterday here at the church for Lynn Kinnearum. And every funeral I do, I'm reminded again that tomorrow is not guaranteed, right? We don't know when the last day of our lives will come, but it's coming. And it'll be shorter than every other day you've ever lived, right? It's, a, it's, it's coming. We camp out one day closer to the end of our lives every day. Have you cared for your soul today? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are right with God? Jesus says, even if you gain the whole world. And by the way, there's nothing wrong in and of itself with gaining the whole world. But if you forfeit your soul while doing it, it means absolutely nothing. Jesus is not speaking against uh, the attainment of things. 
Jesus isn't speaking about uh, working in such a way that you work yourself up the ladder of your company. In and of itself, that's not evil. But if you do that above the priority of making sure your soul is connected with God, Jesus says, it doesn't profit anything. It's meaningless. Ultimately, it's meaningless. That phrase, gain the whole world, is really talking about this, the highest level of success anyone can achieve in the eyes of the world. One thing you need to understand is the definition of success by this world is radically different than the definition of success by God. Yet so many people are buying in to the definition of success in this world. And by the way, if you gain the whole world, man, that's the highest level of success in the eyes of the world. You've made it. You're big time. But on the flip side of that is the danger of forfeiting your soul. What does that mean? A rejection of Christ and following him. Jesus said we need to take up our cross daily and follow him. You know, if you were in Jerusalem and you saw somebody carrying their cross, you would look at that person and say, that person is as good as dead. That person is a walking dead person. That's exactly the picture Jesus paints of a follower of his. You're saying to the world, I have died to myself. I'm identifying my life with the one who carried his cross for me, Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus. And Jesus is the one that directs everything in my life. He's the one that gives me guidance. He's the one that gives me strength. He gives me direction for every decision I make. See, forfeiting your soul is refusing to identify with the death and suffering of Jesus Christ for our sins. I love the apostles in the book of Acts. They were arrested because they were preaching about Jesus. And they rejoiced while in prison because they were considered worthy enough to suffer like Jesus. They identified with Jesus, and it didn't matter what happened in their lives. They knew the value of connecting with God and making sure their soul was right. You know, there's a theological discussion that has been going on for centuries about human beings. Are they consisting of two parts or three, a trichotomy or a dichotomy. And in this church, we have people who believe differently about that. But it's interesting to think about. Is it two parts or one? Some say humans are just body and soul. And the words for soul and spirit in the New Testament seem to be interchangeable at times. But there are other theologians who say, no, it's not a two-part existence. It's a three-part in fact, I tend to lean towards the trichotomy view, especially these verses seem to indicate it. First Thessalonians 5.23 says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete. Here's another verse, Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. Here's another verse that I like when it talks about the spirit. Romans 8, 16. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That when you come to faith in Christ, the spiritual component of you connects with the spirit of God. 
and confirms with you that you are a child of God. There's this ability that we have to have this awesome relationship with a God who made you and stamped his image upon you. So I hold to a trichotomy view of the soul, that there's the body, right? There's the soul, which contains the spirit, which makes up our mind and our emotions, our conscious self, our personhood, who we are that distinguishes us from other persons around us. And that moment we die, the Bible's really clear, absent from the body, present with the what? The Lord, exactly, that our soul and our spirit go to be with God. Our body is left here. But one day our bodies, by the power of God, will be resurrected, glorified bodies. You might say, well, now how do we know that? Well, Jesus is the first example of that happening. When he died on the cross, his body was laid in the tomb. It was in the tomb when Jesus went to ascend to his father. But then on that first Easter morning, his body was resurrected, a glorified body. That will happen to us one day as well. Our bodies resurrected, glorified bodies, and thus we will always be with the Lord. It's an amazing promise. It's awesome. And it's backed up by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's backed up by the power of the God who created 400 billion galaxies. One galaxy like the Milky Way that we're in has 400 billion stars. If God makes a promise, he'll back it up. You can count on it. He's an awesome God. But the one thing we need to be reminded of today is the value of your soul and how important it is. Here's some corresponding truth. The priceless value of our salvation. If our soul is that valuable then of course being saved by God is that valuable. Our salvation, that moment that you decided that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and you put your faith and trust in him, that moment that you were, as Jesus said in John chapter 3, born again. You know, there was a moment when I wasn't physically born, but then there was a moment when I was. Jesus compares it to that. There's a moment when you're not made alive again spiritually and then a moment that you are. When does that moment occur? It's the moment that you can look at the cross and say, Jesus, you did that for me. I place my faith and trust in you. I remember that moment like it was yesterday in my life. I prayed a very simple prayer. I said, dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Forgive me. I put my faith and my trust in you, not in my good works. I invite you into my life to lead me and guide me from this day forward, Jesus. That was my moment. Have you had that moment? Do you know for sure, amen? Do you know for sure that you've told Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you. You have to be reminded by this passage of the awesome value of your soul. Don't lose your soul. Losing your soul means an eternity separated from God. That's the bad news of the Bible. The good news is this. Jesus made a way. And he offers that way to you as a free gift. Receive it. Don't wait another day. We do not know what tomorrow will bring. Here's another corresponding truth to the value of the human soul. The fleeting value of the things of this world. 
You know, if you're like me, and I get it, every day is a battle. Every day, you kind of want to tie your worth to how much stuff you have, how much power you have, how others look at you, how others judge you. But by this passage, we need to be reminded of this powerful truth. The things of this world are fleeting. Our relationship with Christ and making sure we have forgiveness for our sins is of awesome value. Please do not put the value of the things of this world above that important relationship with Christ. And by the way, again, it's not wrong to have things. The Bible doesn't say it's wrong to have things. It's not wrong to have money. Things and money are tools. Think of a hammer. If you have a hammer today, you can show up in our back parking lot in a couple weeks and build loft house number 74. We're going to take that loft house down to Mexico and give it away to a family that has virtually nothing. That hammer was a wonderful tool in building a house for a needy family. But someone else could take that same tool and do a lot of damage. Amen? They could do a lot of destruction. It's a tool. It depends on how it's used. That's exactly what things are in our lives. That's exactly what money is in our lives. It's a tool. And our challenge is to say to God, God, you've given me these tools to use in my life. May I use them under your direction, under your guidance. Because I understand that the things of this world are fleeting. In one one moment, they can be gone. We put so much value often in trivial things. Yesterday, my wife and I went up to Anaheim, California, and my 14-year-old son was playing in a basketball game with other 8th graders. And they're pretty talented kids. They're pretty talented players. And when we arrived there at 8 a.m. for the game, I sat down on a bleacher, and I sat down next to a husband and a wife that were sitting next to me. And the husband kind of leaned over, and I introduced myself to him, and he said, hey, man, you may not want to sit here because uh, I get pretty loud in the games. And I said, man, that's good, 8 o'clock. I need a little loudness to get me going too. He goes, all right, man. We kind of had fun. We laughed a little bit. I had no idea what I was in for. (laughs) I had no idea. As soon as the game started, this dad was yelling at the refs. If if his son was fouled, he was yelling at the refs. If he should have had a foul called for his son and it wasn't called he was yelling at the refs he soon got up off the bleachers and stood right at the corner of the court and was working the referees the mom was sitting next to me and there was one play where she thought her son was fouled and he wasn't and and she jumped off the bleachers ran to the court and screamed and I mean screamed as loud as she could at the referee and then came back and sat next to me and I felt like saying to everyone that was there um, my, I'm with her over here. I'm not with her. I'm not, no. This is my woman right here. Not, not her. She was a screamer. And I felt like just leaning over saying this to her. This is an eighth grade basketball game. Eighth grade basketball game. Eighth grade. So much value on something so trivial. And I want to tell you, it's happening all around us. People placing so much importance on things that are fleeting. God wants us to rise above the thinking of this world and adopt His mentality and look at the world the way He does. Let us be a church that looks at the world the way 
he does that sees the value of every person we come in contact with as a person whose soul needs to be saved. We need to see things the way God does. Here's another corresponding truth. The destructive deception of the thinking of this world. Church, reject the constant tug to impress the world and not impress God. The constant tug to be more concerned about what people of the world think than what God thinks of us. That's called people-pleasing. Jesus asked this question. How can you believe? When you seek praise from one another, but do not seek praise that comes from the one and only God. How can you truly believe? When you're trying to impress others, but no concern about impressing God. Here at Riverview, let us be a church that looks beyond the hate and division in this world that rises above it and seeks to love others with the amazing love of God that has changed our lives, the love that drove Jesus Christ to lay down his life for you and me on the cross and to see every person and their soul as having incredible value. That leads me to the second point is this. Jesus reveals to us the true definition of success. If you think about this passage, Matthew 16, it really points out to us what success is all about. If your kids came to you, or maybe your friends, if you're a young person today, if your friends came to you, or, or if you're a parent, if your kids came to you, or maybe a grandparent, if your grandkids came to you and said, hey, what is the definition of success? How do I know if I'm successful in my life? What would you say? If they said to you, hey, mom, dad, hey, grandma, granddad, what was the greatest accomplishment of your life? My hope would be the answer wouldn't be, hey, well, one year I was the top salesperson in my company. I, I thought it was pretty impressive, uh, now, in and of itself, it's not bad to be the top salesperson. Or uh, uh, the greatest event, event in my life, the greatest success when I, my bank account reached this amount of money. Now, it's not wrong to have that amount of money in your bank account. But God wants us to rise above the thinking of this world. That these things in our lives, whether we're the top salesperson or not, whether we have a big bank account or not, pales in comparison to doing the work of God and saying, God, use my life to make a difference for you in eternity. May all of these abilities that I have, may every resource I have be used to glorify your name. I love the teachings of Jesus when he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Church, we need to be a church that constantly lifts up the name of Jesus. The Atakaris are doing it in their home country. Lifting up the name of Jesus where it's difficult. My prayer would be that everyone that leaves this worship center today would walk out realizing that Atakaris are in their mission field. I'm now entering mine. God has placed me exactly where he wants me to be a light for him. Exactly where he wants me to make a difference in this world. He's counting on you to be that light in the darkness all around you because you see the value of the human soul. I define success as this. It's obedience to God. Now remember, you're not obeying God to get salvation. That would be a work salvation. The Bible talks against that all the time. 
you obey God because you want to be like him you want to be more and more like Jesus every day so success is obeying God empowered by the Holy Spirit because I believe everything that God asks us to do he will also give us the power to do it by the Holy Spirit motivated here's the great part by love for God every time you look at the cross you say wow God you love me so much I want to be like you God you lay down your life for me I, I want to lay down my life for you motivated by love for God and directed toward the advancement of the kingdom of God that you realize your life is part of building up something that's much greater than anything you can do individually it's building up the kingdom of God that will stand for all of eternity uh, here's another definition of success I like, and I think it's a great one for our church. Success is devoting yourself to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? Go into all the world and make what? Disciples. In the spirit of the Great Commandments. What are the Great Commandments? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That changes the way we live, right? If you love others with that kind of love, if someone wrongs you, you can't wait to forgive and show them the love of Christ. Missionary endeavors like even Operation Christmas Child, I love what the video said. There's this one lady as she's speaking in the video, this still is a testimony to me of the love of God. We want to be part of something like that. Whatever we do for God... The work we do for Him is the only thing in our lives that will have an impact for eternity. See, true success is believing, loving, and obeying God, focusing on what is eternal rather than what is temporary, being transformed by the work of God in our lives, our minds, and our hearts, walking by faith every day. What's faith? I define it as this. I've shared this in the past. Faith is trusting and obeying God no matter what the circumstances because we believe God is in control and every promise He has made, He will fulfill. And we can stand on that. I love that song. Great are your promises, God. You've never failed me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. See, all around us, we see the deception of using people and loving things. It's all around us. People being used. And the desire for more power and prestige and possessions. But it's all so fleeting. There's a joy of knowing God and loving God and people and using the things that God has given us to glorify Him. Using the tools God has given us to glorify Him. My dad... Uh, was a great storyteller. And he immigrated from Norway, and we lived right outside of New York City, and he used to love just telling stories. He played the violin. And I picked up the violin and played through elementary school and high school because I, I want to be like my dad. I want to play the violin like him. And he had this great violin story. You've probably, maybe some of you have heard it. But there was an auctioneer that was auctioning off a whole bunch of items. And there was one violin off to the side that they saved kind of to the end, it, didn't, it wasn't much. The auctioneer didn't think it would get much. He picked up the violin, held it above the crowd and said, how much do I hear for this violin? Nobody said anything. Finally, somebody in the back said, one dollar. 
Well, $1, do I hear $2? Uh, $2, $2, do I hear $3? Anybody want to give $3 for this old violin? And as he's holding up the violin, an old man walks down the center aisle, takes the violin from the auctioneer, tunes it up for a few seconds, and on this violin plays an amazing piece that sounded awesome. The violin player handed it back to the auctioneer. The auctioneer held it up and said, how much for this violin? $1,000? Do I hear $1,000? $2,000? Do I hear $2,000? $3,000? Do I hear $4,000? $4,000 for this violin. And someone in the crowd yelled out, what made the difference? What made the difference in the value of the violin? And the auctioneer wisely said, the touch of the master's hand. Amen? And there are so many lives being today being sold so cheaply in this world. And God wants to raise up the impact and the amazing difference you can make in this life by allowing your life to be touched by the Master, Jesus Christ, who created you. And that leads me to the third point. It's this. Jesus reiterates to us the importance of living with an eternal perspective. Look at the text. He says this, hey, you know what? What is the profit of man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Then he says this, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And he's implying all of this stuff of the world won't mean a thing. Not a thing. Live with eternity in mind. Live with an eternal perspective. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. We can all identify with that, right? Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things that are what? Not seen. That we would have that kind of faith to say, God, we're going to look at the things that are not seen because one day you are going to come back. And we're going to see you face to face in all your power and all your glory. And I want to tell you this. I've been in a lot of deathbeds of people that are dying. And I've never heard anyone dying tell me this. Mel, I wish I spent more time at the office. Mel, I just wish I had a bigger bank account right now. Never heard that. As people are ending and coming to the end of their lives. May we have the wisdom to see the value of the things God values today, not at the end of our lives. May we have the wisdom to see and value the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is our moment. Not to get to the end of our lives and regret that we missed the opportunities God gave us to make a difference in eternity. This is our opportunity to be passionate about what God is passionate about. To see the things that are truly valuable and energize ourselves to make a difference in those things. So as we close today, I want to challenge you with some now ones. Number one, it's this. Set your mind on things above See the value of living for God. Don't be deceived by this world. Young people today that are out there in the audience, this is your opportunity to step up and make a difference for eternity. You're to be the radical one that stands against those that are floating along with the world, buying into their losing definition of success. And for you to live a radically different life. Same is true for all of us as adults. 
Set your mind on things above. Reject the world's losing definition of success. Discipline your mind to focus on making an eternal difference for God as you acknowledge the value of each soul. May one day you say, you know what? I was part of a church that held up the word of God and the message of Jesus Christ. And I engaged in that effort. And I knew that every time I left that church, God was leading me to my mission field where I could be a light to those around me who are groping and lost in darkness and to give them the awesome message of Jesus Christ that would make a difference in people's lives for all of eternity. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer this morning. And as your hearts are bowed, I want to ask you today, have you made that decision to make your soul right with God? I want to tell you again, because I've been at a ton of funerals. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Now is the time to make sure you do not forfeit your soul, that you are not separated from God for all of eternity because you haven't come to the cross and realized the price that was paid to set you free. Tell Jesus that right now. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. You died on the cross for my sins. I follow you from now on. Come into my life and change me. And Lord, as a church, may we keep our eyes on the eternal. Help us not to get caught up in the trivial. Help us to realize the power of the touch of your hand, the master's hand on our lives to help us rise above the trivial and to make a difference in eternity. Lord, you're right here with us. You're right here with us. We bow before you. It's all for you, Jesus. This is all for you. And we pray this in your matchless name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing the song. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never Amen. But well, we have elders and home group leaders up front who would love to pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. Please greet one another and live this week all for Him. God bless you. See you on the patio.